This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. On occasion, we have an episode that we feel requires a more direct statement. This is one of those episodes. This episode includes depictions of extreme graphic violence, spousal abuse, and violence against animals. Please check the episode description for a more detailed list. Let's begin. Episode 13, The Possession of Michael Taylor. Osset is a sleepy market town within the city of Wakefield, West Yorkshire, England. Historically, being part of the West Riding of Yorkshire and its equidistance between Dewsbury to the west and Wakefield to the east, along with its rich coal deposits, made it an ideal and highly productive mining town from the 11th century all the way up until the late 1960s. But just a decade later, this quiet English community would become known for something much more insidious. In 1974, one of Osset's most beloved families would become the center of a terrifying tale that shook the community's collective imagination and faith to the core. The Taylor family lived in a modest home on the south edge of town. Michael was a part-time butcher and Christine spent her days caring for their five children. What most of the community wasn't aware of was Michael's propensity for bouts of depression. Their neighbors and customers only ever described him as easygoing and kind. In fact, the only thing that struck the community as odd was the fact that the Taylors did not belong to a church. In a highly religious community like Osset, it was only a matter of time before a close family friend recommended a weekly prayer meeting. The Christian Fellowship Group or CFG, a vaguely Protestant Christian group with no affiliation to any larger religious body, enjoyed the freedoms that came along with a lack of oversight on their interpretation of scripture. One would think that their fire and brimstone approach that focused heavily on the Christian battle against the forces of evil would not appeal to a family that had only ever dabbled in the ideas of Christianity in its mildest forms. But by the end of one meeting, Led by their young and charismatic leader, 22-year-old Marie Robinson, Michael Taylor was left entirely enchanted. At some point during this meeting, overtaken by the Holy Spirit, Marie began to shake and shudder. See, she believed that when consumed by God's light, she had the power to heal the pain and suffering of others. When another member of the congregation, Mavis Smith, began to openly weep, Marie decided that she was in need of healing. She knelt before her and began speaking in tongues while waving her hands over her body. Much to the surprise of Christine, Michael dropped to his knees and joined Marie almost immediately. Having never put much stock in religion, Christine initially found this off-putting. 
but she would eventually accept these actions as long as it helped her husband with his depression. Following this experience, Michael became obsessed with the group. This obsession quickly grew to include the group's leader herself, Marie. It wasn't long before this group, later described by many involved as a cult, began to take up a tremendous amount of Michael's time. He seemed overjoyed to assist in anything that they, or more specifically anything that Marie needed. He would spend his time preparing the meeting hall, and even offered their own home up to the group for a meeting space. At this point, Michael not only attended every prayer service, he began to attend private prayer meetings with Marie. During these strange meetings, Michael and Marie would sit across from each other making the sign of the cross repeatedly, sometimes for more than eight hours. They believed that doing this would nullify the evil power of the full moon. Eventually, it became obvious to the rest of the congregation, Christine included, that Michael's interest in Marie far exceeded that of a minister and one of her congregate. Michael Taylor was falling in love. Soon after, Michael's mood would devolve immediately at her absence. The little time that he did spend at home with his family saw him anxious, depressed, and frequently rageful. It became commonplace for him to lash out hatefully at his wife and children. While depression had been a struggle since a back injury sustained in the mid-60s, this type of rage was new. He had always been a loving and compassionate, if sometimes withdrawn, man. Christine quickly reached two conclusions. Michael's time with the prayer group was not doing any favors for him or their family, and these long hours spent with Marie were far more salacious than either of them would admit. Convinced of an affair, during the next prayer meeting, Christine stood up in front of the entire congregation and demanded to know what had been going on between the two of them. Something about this moment of stress and public humiliation broke Michael in a way that he had never experienced. He stood up, ignoring his wife entirely, and rushed down the short aisle toward Marie, screaming obscenities in foreign languages like some kind of demented code switching. Michael slapped Marie across the face, and several members of the congregation came to her rescue. Later, Marie would recount the event. Quote, I suddenly glanced at Mike and his whole features changed. He looked almost bestial. He kept looking at me and there was a really wild look in his eyes. I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues and Mike also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death and I seemed to come to my senses. I knew that only the name of Jesus would save me and I just started saying it over and over again, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When Christine heard me calling on the name of Jesus, she started saying it too. And I believe firmly that it was only by calling on his name that I was not killed. It took five full-grown men to wrestle the physically diminutive Michael to the ground. Once he was pinned to the floor, Marie, Christine, and several other members began to pray over him. And it wasn't long before he began to calm down. Once they released him, he claimed to have no memory of what had just occurred. Three days later, Michael returned for another meeting. He begged the congregation for forgiveness and received it. Marie and the congregation tentatively welcomed him back into their loving embrace. Unfortunately, this was not the end of Michael's story. After this incident, he continued to deteriorate emotionally. His mood seemed to be growing darker with each passing day. 
Soon his family barely recognized him. The previously joyful family was now characterized by friends as sullen and withdrawn. They were now dealing with ludicrous outbursts from Michael on a near-daily basis. He began initiating bizarre and outrageous confrontations with strangers in public. On more than one occasion, he is said to have spit on a stranger, insisting to them that it is the milk of human kindness. Upon hearing about one of these incidents, a close family friend reached out to a local Anglican priest. After one meeting with Michael, the priest and a group of ministers determined that he was suffering demonic possession and must undergo the rites of exorcism. In an increasingly rare moment of lucidity, Michael acknowledged his increasingly erratic behavior and agreed eagerly to the ritual, and even seemed to his wife to be optimistic. On October 5, 1974, Father Peter Vincent and Reverend Raymond Smith met Michael at the St. Thomas's Church in nearby Gobber. The prayer group was also in attendance. As the ceremony began, Michael immediately started thrashing, biting, scratching, spitting, and violently convulsing. Eventually, he had to be tied to the floor of the church to prevent him from hurting himself or the collection of holy men overseeing the ritual. The exorcism went on for hours. Anytime anyone got close to him, he snarled like an animal or screamed in a variety of languages, some were unknown even to the theologians in attendance. After eight hours of work, this ragtag team of warriors for God claimed to have cast 40 demons from the body of Michael. These included demons of lewdness, incest, blasphemy, and bestiality. They were exhausted. After a short break, they announced that the exorcism would have to be completed the following night after a much-needed rest. They instructed Christine to take Michael home and let him sleep until it was time to meet back up. They told her to rest assured. Only three demons remained. A demon of madness, a demon of violence, and a demon of murder. Considering the events that would follow, one could easily argue that they knew exactly what they were talking about. Tentatively, Christine agreed to take Michael home to rest for the evening. After arriving at their home, an exhausted and dejected Michael silently collapsed on the couch in the living room, and Christine headed upstairs to fall asleep on their bed without even bothering to undress. Little did she know that this would be the last time she would ever fall asleep. She would not survive the night. Two hours later, Christine wakes suddenly to a terrifying image. Michael's silhouette looms above her. It is Michael physically, but when she focuses her eyes on his face, she realizes that there is no sign of the man that she loves behind those darkened eyes. He stands there stock still, the red light from the alarm clock reflecting off of his blood-streaked naked chest. Quickly searching the room, she sees what remains of the family dog in the doorway of the hall. Now a pile of cracked bone, sinew, and fetid meat. She gasps and sits up in the bed as Michael lunges without warning. Her scream is immediately choked off by inhumanly strong hands wrapping around her throat. Fighting with all of her strength, she flails her arms and legs wildly, but soon the elevator door of her consciousness begins to close. Michael reaches up with one hand and digs two fingers into each of her eyes, ripping them from her head. Christine falls limp on the bed. 
Nearing death, she can no longer offer any resistance as Michael pries her mouth open and tears the tongue from between her teeth with his bare hands. Entirely overtaken by diabolical rage, Michael begins to frantically tear at what remains of Christine's face, stripping it down to nothing more than a lifeless, bloody skull. At 9.45pm, a mere hour and 45 minutes after the conclusion of the exorcism, a policeman patrolling the Taylor's neighborhood discovered a sight he would not soon forget. Michael, wandering on the side of the road, covered in nothing but the blood of his wife and their family dog. As he pulled to the roadside and stepped out of the car, he could clearly hear the deranged father screaming, It's the devil's blood! It's the devil's blood! When approached by the officer, Michael immediately snapped out of it and became shockingly coherent. Once handcuffed and placed in the back of the car, he calmly explained to the policeman that the demons were not inside him as he had thought. They were inside of his wife. He assured them that that would no longer be a problem. He said, quote, Released. I am released. It is done. The evil in her has been destroyed. He gave them directions and the policeman rushed to the Taylor home only to find that several police cars were already parked outside. Nearby neighbors had heard the commotion and called the authorities immediately. When approaching the house, the officer was met by a criminal inspector exiting who said, quote, You don't want to see this one, son. I've seen nothing like it before and I've seen a few. It's the wife. She's got no... He's ripped at her. It's a right mess in there. There's not much of her left. You don't want to see it. He then doubled over, vomiting into the yard. During the trial, the defense laid blame squarely at the feet of the prayer group and the priests who did the exorcism. The defending attorney stated that the group exacerbated an already cracking mind. He cast doubt on the possession theory by calling it neurotics feeding neuroses to a neurotic. Michael was eventually acquitted by reason of insanity. He spent two years in Broadmoor Hospital, a high-security psychiatric facility. He spent an additional two years in another psychiatric facility, and after being declared sane, he was released to the public. The following four decades saw as many suicide attempts, and he was arrested in 2005 and tried in 2006 for sexually harassing and inappropriately touching a young girl. After only a week of awaiting sentencing, he began to show signs of possession once again. He lashed out at people around him and began saying disturbing and confounding things to fellow inmates and guards. He pled guilty to two counts of sexual assault and was sentenced to three years of probation and community service. Is Michael Taylor, who walks the streets of West Yorkshire to this day, still under the control of those three unexercised demons? Will this once respectable, kind, and loving family man turned brutal murderer ever find the peace that we all desire? There have been no reports of his activity since his sentencing in 2006. But what diabolical deeds could this demonic puppet be committing in the cover of night? We may never know. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. So, my uh, my first question 
So this dude, is this dude still alive to this yes. day? And still out on the streets doing his uh, doing his. I mean, thing. as far as as far as I know, he's still alive. The last real, the last real um, sign of him was in 06. So, I guess. Right. So 2006, he went. Uh, he was essentially went to trial for sexual misconduct right. or touching uh, a younger yep. person. Um and he basically only got probation. I think is what yeah, you said. Three years probation. Uh, which I find fucking stupid. Yeah, that's the obviously that's the, that shouldn't be that's a thing. The English justice system, right? The European justice system. I they are they are pretty lax from what I yeah. from what I've read and heard. I mean, he so, ripped his wife's face um, off and killed her, and he got four years. Yeah, he in went to psychiatric facilities. Was it two or was it four? Because I thought you said he spent two, two years in two years. He spent two years in Broadmoor and then two years in another facility. Ah, okay. So I mean, you know, the the dude gets off pretty easy. Yeah. After I mean, you know, the the thing with the dog that's that's pretty damn yeah. gnarly. Um, <laughs> and especially your description of it, I found very. Uh, I, I I don't know. I found it. It was a very good description. Good. Yeah, it's um, pretty disgusting. You know, the whole I like the pile of bones and just basically like mangled flesh of this dog. It paints a good picture. Yeah, I mean that um, whole event is just insane. It's so gnarly. Oh yeah, like it. It sounded like it. In her, like him, like ripping out her eyes as she's like slowly fading away, yeah. like. I mean, he he didn't stop. He didn't stop for nope. anything. You know, he was like, "Man, she she's she's got it yeah, coming." There are demons in here now. Right. So that was that was my other thing, uh, my other kind of takeaway. So we know we have this Michael guy became very religious, which I I think that's that's what kind of like makes it a little strange. Is you know after spending so much time at the church, after becoming in love with you know falling in love with uh, Marie. You know, becoming like this big, like um, it sounds like he was a pretty, probably pretty, you know, promising part of this congregation at that point. Um, and then I mean, you know, who's to say he was actually in love with her? Or he just didn't like. He wasn't like instantly, you know, not not necessarily brainwashed, but um, swayed in that direction where you know, like there was just something about her that like. You know, who's to say like she's not manipulating him into this type of behavior? Um, you know, so cut to the the end here when he's trying to rid his wife of these demons, and you know, and and is telling this uh, this policeman basically that you know he's rid her rid her of all these you know these issues, and she was the problem all along. You know, but yet he commits such a, you know, a heinous crime at that point. Um, And, I mean, it's always, you know, in any case like this, it's always going to be the other half, the significant other. Like, you know, that's about 90% of cases like this. Um, So, you know, who's to say he didn't go out on like this crazy, like, psychotic bender and just, yeah. I I don't know. It's... yeah, those are the things that stand out. And I know you have a lot more to say, so I want to listen. Yeah, I want to hear. Is, this is the part of this story that really terrifies me. Is to put this into perspective, 
from the first night of the meeting, like the first meeting they attended, until the murder of his wife is less than three months. Yeah, so it was all back to back to back, like him getting in, him, you know, finding his place in this church, and then all of these things happening, yeah, right? that's, what freaks me out is how fast it is. The, like, and that's what freaks me out about all the, like, possession cases in general, but specifically this one, it really, like, hit home, because, like, it's, whether he's actually possessed or not, the, like, the flipping his entire personality on a dime freaks me out. Yeah. It, Oh, I, it's so scary to me. Yes, I agree. I agree. That is, that is one thing I, I I think is, is definitely terrifying. And I mean, and then we get into talking more religion at that point, because I mean, there's lots of, lots of cases. There was this, uh, there was this documentary I watched. It was a long time ago. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was just basically about children and religion and how easily swayed they were. Like they'd go in being like, Oh, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I believe in this or that or whatever. And by like 10 minutes in, they were firm believers. They were completely swayed. And that sounds like that was exactly Michael's whole, whole ordeal. You know I mean? He instantly, this Marie started speaking in tongues and he was right there with her. meeting. Like, how how does that happen i don't know man that's it's also important to understand that this was not like a a normal prayer group or church group this was like marie the leader was really into like the dark shit like she was really into demonic possession she was she sounds like a high priest at the right point. <laughs> she was like yeah no doubt it's i mean I mean, the Anglican Church prefers to call like exorcisms. They prefer them to call them deliverances. That's what they refer to. But it's the same thing, basically. Okay. It, basically, yeah. instead of like throwing holy water, they lay hands, right? But of like, course. that's yeah. really the only difference. I mean, a, a lot of a lot of religions do that to similar, you know, similar things as well. Yeah. So, but like this prayer group was this was not their first exorcism either. Like. Okay. okay, so that same the same woman who was being healed in Michael's first meeting, the Mavis, yeah. Mavis something, I forget her last name. Yeah, I I didn't catch her last she, name either. Um, they at one point attempted an exorcism on her because she was so sad. Oh, she was very okay. sad. So <laughs> they decided to to do a deliverance or an exorcism, right? And this is okay. like I picture these as like. These are like amateur exorcisms, right? I mean, that's that's what I would imagine. You know, it's not going to be full blown like casting out demons. It's going to be like casting out this darkness that's, you know, that's got you down, right. or figuring out like these like little like little. Well, things. they tried. Right. I wouldn't imagine it'd be like they tried exercising her demons for about four hours, and then they just gave up and went home. They're like, well, that didn't work out, and then they left. And I guess they were after that. They were just okay with Mavis being sad all the time. They're like, "Well, we tried." And then you spoke of Michael's depression, mm-hmm. and I mean, you have this seemingly happy family, you know, in this uh, small town uh, out out of or out of Wakefield, England. You know, like 
Uh, you know, so you have like already, you know, like, I mean, with depression, there's a lot that comes along sure. with it, you know? And so, you know, you have, you have that you're especially like a depressed person can be easily influenced. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and manipulated, yeah. you know, at that. And so I think like, I think a lot of this kind of comes out, it comes down to the point of like. Michael finally found something at that point that made him feel lively and that pushed out that that we'll call it darkness that you know that point that place in him that you know doesn't go away very yeah. easily you know someone that deals with you know these things personally like I understand um you know so like maybe he found that to be very like enlightening and to the point of you know, once he felt it, he wanted to embrace it wholly, instantly, because maybe it was that something that gave him that rush, right, that hope. you know, that almost like cleanse of right, exactly, gave him hope and gave him that feeling like things will be okay, like you know, just embrace this and you know, just greet it as much as you can, and maybe that was his whole like his whole way of thinking, yeah. like you know, and try to do that and try to you know, but I feel like something is up with Marie. Yeah, I feel I feel that she's not just your everyday um, congregation leader or um, prayer you know, pastor yeah. or reverend or you know whatever whatever she is um, minister or whatever. Like I don't think she's your everyday. Like I said, to me, sounds like she's almost like a high priest of like a satanic church. Um, you know, like it sounds that's. Honestly, sounds more up her like alley. A satanic church from a comic, and I book. think, I mean, from anything really. Yeah. But yes, mostly, <laughs> mostly comic yeah. books. No, like she was. Honestly, I fully believe that if this hadn't happened with Michael, she would have become a full blown cult leader. Like she was wildly charismatic. She, like, used her sex appeal. She's a 22-year-old woman. She used her sex appeal to, like, draw people in. She, like, she had all the traits of a female cult leader. Like, it was... She. That's definitely... I I agree with that, That's definitely how it would have went if this catastrophe hadn't happened early on. Because that just... I think this... It kind of dissolved the group when this happened. But... Did it dissolve the group because you said that like he he got to go back and they embraced him with like open arms at that point, right? So I'm assuming, and I know that we didn't get a whole lot that happened after the fact. Um, you know, like, do you know if they ever parted ways? If that like if that church shut down? Well, here's uh, the thing: Marie stopped. The thing is, it wasn't even a church. It was just a, a prayer group that would meet and they went from home to home. I, yeah, I guess you're right. Okay. And they yeah. just like, there's no word from them after, you know, one of their members ripped the face off of another one of their members. I think they just kind of were like, I think we're good here. Are they secretly part of the Westboro Baptist <laughs> Church? I don't know. Baptist <laughs> and Anglican are pretty far apart. <laughs> but... It sounds kind of right up their alley, though. I mean, it sounds like a couple steps from the church in uh, Red State. Yeah, that's and that's based yeah, off of Westboro Baptist. Sure. 
So it, it, that, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I thought too. Um, but yeah, I mean, not, not, I guess not, um, displacing or dismissing that it was a prayer group, not a church. Mm-hmm. And that's what I have to remind myself. Um, you know, because looking at it from like a church, you know, sh- church point of view, I feel that it was, it was a lot more, but I think like looking at it as a prayer group, she was definitely a yeah. cult leader by far. I think, I think that was her whole, like whole plan, the whole scheme, everything was leading, you know, leading the blind to this fucking like whatever she was trying to get out of it. I don't know. Power. She just wanted power. I mean, ultimately power. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Manipulation. I mean, that right there is the art of manipulation. Yeah. You know, finding someone's weakness and being able to, you know, being able to rip that apart and to thrive from it, basically. And that seems to be what she did, specifically. And I'm assuming that wasn't the first person that, you know, became so close to her and fell in love with her. And maybe his actions led to something different, you know, that maybe someone else hadn't right. done. But I highly doubt he was the first. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not the first. So, here's a, an interesting thing, okay, that I found when I All was right. <clears throat> researching. The um, the Anglican Church, if you want to become what they call a deliverance deliverance minister, which is their version of an exorcist, right? Okay. You, yeah. It requires a four-day training course. I mean, obviously, you have to go through That's seminary it. and all that. You have to already be an Anglican priest, right? An Anglican minister. Okay. But you do a four-day training course, and it, that mo- it mostly focuses on telling the difference between possession and mental illness. Okay. Yeah. So they use three... Which is the whole premise of the evil show on Paramount yeah. Plus, which is fantastic. Just a you know slight plug, <laughs> for sure. No, but they they do they have three criteria that you have to meet in order for them to consider it possession. Okay. Okay. So, superhuman strength. You have to have knowledge of a language that you didn't have before. So you have to be able to speak a new language, <laughs> and. You have to have right. knowledge gained by a supernatural means, which means like you have to know things that you shouldn't, that you don't have any business knowing. Okay. So, I mean, all that basically just sounds like an X man to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if I, mean, I don't know if they're finding demons or if they're finding like, you know, where's like Professor Xavier? Like, where's this yeah. guy at? Um, no, so. It, but at the same time, and, and I was trying not to interrupt you through the process, but it's all part of that untapped portion of your brain, yeah. right? That you can hear you can hear these languages and you can take them in, never actually learn them, but they sit dormant in this portion of your brain. Yeah. So first of all, your mind can fuck you. It can fuck you hard. And if you're not ready for it, it's going to be like a dry fuck that just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you don't yeah. want it. You know, it's not lubing up first you know, beforehand, sure. but you know, the thing about it though, is your mind can tap into these portions of your brain, especially in a s- specific, uh, scenario. I mean, we have superhuman strength. We'll, we'll go with that one. Think of a time in distress 
uh, you know, a mother worried with their child, right. like, can lift a car, you know, and something that would never happen. But given that scenario, it is ca- they are capable of doing so, or anybody, yep. really. Um, you know, so we have that. It's, it's easy to chalk things up to, like, given a specific situation, your 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 brain can tell you it, it can make you do things it can make you believe that you have the ability to do these yeah. things and your body can react accordingly so on top of that we also have you know being able to speak a different language again that's where I was talking about the portion of your brain where these lie dormant you hear these different languages throughout your life you know i mean it can be on tv it can be hearing a conversation and passing anything that you can retain this, these, you know, this information and never be able to utilize or use because you just normally you would not be able to use it. You don't know these things, but deep down your brain uh, yeah, does them. right. So I find like I mean, especially with those particular particular things. Now talking about like knowing things that you didn't know, that could be chalked up to yeah, a lot. It's of fairly things. easy to fake. Yeah, um, and just as we were talking about yeah. earlier, uh, before we even got started, talking about psychics and stuff like that, I personally find it all bullshit because it's easy to find someone's you find someone's weakness or find a common issue or something that they've experienced that most people have experienced and be able to feed off of that and drive yeah. that. So, like, I feel like if these are what they are looking for, they're doing it all wrong. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, to the common person, they would probably be like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." But no, you have to really think about it. And this is all real. Like, all these things can occur. You can you can literally get into an accident and become a thousand times smarter, or be capable of all these extra things that you never never were capable of before, just because the way that the brain works. So I I, I don't know. I find that funny. I mean, you're absolutely right. Okay, so these three things that the Anglican Church considers to be unique to possession, they just aren't. There are there are situations Agreed. where all For three sure. things human beings are capable of, right? So there are people who have brain injuries, who like go into comas, who come out speaking other languages that they didn't know that they could speak. Oh yeah, and that that shit happens yeah. a lot. Or they come out sure. with like a, a different accent that their brain's been absorbing their entire life but not using, you know. And the super strength thing is an adrenaline thing. You can get insane amounts of strength from it, adrenaline. Like like you said, the the example of the mother lifting the car to save their child, right? That's like the classic example. But that that that's right. I mean, it's like, fairly common. Even real life, you know. Think of think of the time that we were in that ATV accident. You literally pulled that fucking thing off yeah, of me. That's and like, I mean, that was heavy yeah. as fuck for sure. So you know, it, it it calls in different situations. I mean, adrenaline does work. You know, does uh, it can make you do crazy things yeah. for sure. Like, there's no way if I just like walked out there on a calm afternoon that I could pick that thing up. Right, exactly. So, I don't know if I've told you, or if you're aware. 
I'm a minister. Yes, I was aware of that. So you can call me Reverend R- Reverend Ryan. <laughs> can I? Got my nice. <laughs> <laughs> my God. <laughs> You're showing your service manual there. <laughs> so actually, no, the reason I ask, I actually was digging this out a minute ago. Um, but the reason I ask is because I wonder if I can take part in an exorcism. I mean, obviously, I, I don't work like a Catholic church or anything right. like that. Um, nor would I I don't ever, know how common non-denominational um, exorcisms happen. <laughs> exorcisms are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Sorry, this is a yeah. little, little uh, you know, sidetrack there. <laughs> I would love to be like the... The, like, smaller young priest who stands behind you, like, holding your Bible for you while you, like, scream at a little girl throwing water on her and shit. You will not be mean to your mother ever again. See, you already got it. <laughs> the power of Christ compels You're you. You're hired. <laughs> I got a couple kids you could probably exercise over here. I got you, bud. No worries. <laughs> no, but, like... But no, back to, you know, back to being serious. Um, yeah. So like, I find that those, like those being like the main, main things that they're looking for to like yield an exorcism, I think is just super silly. And I know that we've talked in the past about like the Catholic church, uh, you know, Catholic church being like a major one that they don't do a whole lot of exorcisms these days. Right. Because there's so many things that have to be like that have to align to make you know to make right. a case, um, and uh, you know even going back to our, our last episode like the uh, the bag- baggins or baggins or whatever uh, the demon right. house one, you know and them uh, Gary Gary like Gary's diocese of the Catholic Church performing like the first exorcism and I mean it was it was more than right. twenty years. Um, you know, and so it's it's very uncommon these days. For What's sure. crazy is the amount um, of requests I know. for exorcism they get. Like I saw, I saw oh, I'm a, sure. um, for sure, yeah, a Catholic priest in Indianapolis talking about how many he got over three thousand requests for exorcism in a year. Jesus Christ, dude! Yeah, that's Christ fucking dumb. Like how? <laughs> <laughs> No pun intended, but still intended, I guess. Um, no, that's that's nuts. Off of one, off of literally just one church, or was it ones that you'd like heard heard about? Or no, those are specific requests of him to perform an exorcism. Three thousand really? in a year, wow. and that's one okay. priest. Like it makes you it makes you wonder though. How many like of these un you know these obviously like unknown exorcisms happen on the daily? It's a lot. I bet it's a lot more than yeah. you imagine. Yeah, you think so? I huh. I think it's a lot more than than we'd think. I, I think with there being so many things that have to align and so many like stipulations and shit, I would find it. I'd I'd find it. Like I think they'd be few and far between. I bet it's not as. It's not as strict as it should be. I bet it's... I'll give you that. Yeah, I'll give you that. And like... Yeah, I think I would have to say it's more common than we would imagine. I bet we'd be shocked if we saw the number of exorcisms that take place. 
I mean, you know, and, and I would like to think, um, I, in, in, as much as I love the idea of possession, and I, we talk about right, this a lot. Like, I love the idea. Of, I think it's, I think it's very unique, and it's very its own like niche. But like, I also find a lot of exorcism cases, demonic possession cases, and things like that. I, I honestly find it bullshit. Yeah. I think I think a lot of them are. I think I think it comes down to, you know, as we've talked about, these things that are very every person is very capable of doing. Um, I think it comes down to mental illness in mm-hmm. a lot of cases. I mean, you know, I say that, but then like back in like uh, you know years and years ago, every exorcism case was chalked up to mental yeah. illness. So, you know, like we're coming full <laughs> circle at that point, and I'm not, and I'm not right. trying to. But I think just like me being the believer and skeptic that I am, like I go both yeah. ways for sure. You know, like I love the idea of it and I want to believe in it so much. But at the same time, I also want to like, you know, I want to know that my belief is warranted. Absolutely. And, you know, I think in this case, like Michael, I think, you know, I think he was just a, I think his bouts with depression and, you know, where he was going, like where his family life was and everything influenced so much that i don't know i don't know if we can chalk it up to possession you know but at the same time i don't know you know i think i you know maybe maybe you have some more information or or whatever else like you know obviously we you know just kind of talking about it but like i said i i don't know honestly to me it i don't think he displayed anything otherworldly i think as like as sad as it is, I think the atrocity that he committed was very human. It was well within so. the bounds Agreed. of of human behavior. I think Yeah. I think this was this was a guy teetering on the edge of sanity and he found this woman, this future cult leader who who filled his brain with all this dark shit about demons and possession and nothing you do wrong is your fault. It's just a demon that needs to be exercised. Having that shit pounded into his head for three months. And then he leaves the exorcism, right? And they go, no worries. There are only three demons left. It's insanity, anger, and murder. Insanity, violence, and right, murder. Yeah. That's all that's left inside you. Go yes. home with your wife. That was that's what did it for me too. Like listening to that part, I was like, what are they yeah. doing? Like, I mean, it's still like regardless exorcism or not, you know, doesn't matter. They're oh, we're gonna we're gonna cut off for the night. We're just gonna go ahead and leave you to it. Take your husband home. Whom we may think, you know, whom we think is still possessed by multiple yeah. demons, violence, murder, you know, all these being one of them. But you guys go, yeah, we'll see you tonight. Nap. Like we'll be, we'll get back to it tomorrow or whatever. You like, yeah, like that is so stupid. And if it was a traditional possession case, that to me, I would think right because I mean, it, most often you hear about. 18, 24, 36, 48 yeah. hours, like straight yeah. where they, they may break for food or something, but that they all stay yeah. there. 
Like they never just let it you know, go out, go off and do whatever yeah. you need to do. Like, you know, maybe go take a shower, <laughs> yeah. come back tomorrow, like level headed. We'll, we'll see where yeah. you are then. No. no, like it's, it's pretty crazy. That, that is, yes, that was, that definitely stood out to me. And that was one thing like, yeah, I was, I was definitely just no, no way. <laughs> Who would do that? The thing is, besides this, yeah. this yeah. crazy ragtag team of of exercise yeah, exactly. it just the thing is if they say you buy everything they said right they they exercised 40 demons from this man in 8 hours right that's flying yep. at a pretty good clip that's yeah. i mean that's not bad that's pretty efficient first of all 40 demons throughout this time and there's only 3 left and they don't exactly. want to exactly that's the maybe deal. an hour worth of work left <laughs> Get them out. Yeah. Like you can't you can't need a sandwich that badly. It's right. I don't know. It's cr- oh the thing gosh. is I think what I was saying this guy was extremely fragile and his mind was filled with dog shit for 3 months. And then just that final, you know, he'd just basically just been tortured for 8 hours. They're like shoving crosses in his mouth yep. and fucking like tying him to the floor and that would be enough to fuck with yeah. anybody. And like after eight hours of that, they tell him the only thing left wrong with you is insanity, violence, and murder. Like, and then they're shocked that this happened. They're shocked night. that he went home and snapped. You know, like I think that's exactly what happened. I. Oh, I agree. I agree, one hundred percent. And that was, like I said, that was where that was where I was at. Like right there, like the whole thing up to that point, I was like, okay, this is you. Know, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds like a cult. Sounds absolutely like a cult. But you know, the thing about it, like it, looking at it like that, like yeah, it sounds like it could be a cult. It sounds like it could be this, like this girl just trying to manipulate this like guy that's already in a bad place and they get him to the point where he is he's probably on the brink like this dude is gonna be fucking exhausted he's gonna be seeing this he's gonna be seeing that thinking this thinking that like he's gonna be so consumed by everything that he's undergone at that point or endured to go home and sleep it off like what the fuck else is yeah. gonna happen? That it, it just so uh, so stupid, and I think that's the part that pisses me off about yeah. this story. I think I think for the first like, time we accidentally covered a true crime a true crime case. Oh, I honestly exactly I think so what too. This was. Yeah, like and and that's what you know. It's the art of manipulation, yeah. right? Like getting somebody and again, just finding their, their weakness and finding what you can literally like feed off of to get them to do your bidding. And I think that's what she did, like what this group did. And I I think they did it well, obviously. I think they, they got, they got what they were aiming for. They accidentally went too far, I think. But I don't know if they did. You think they were trying to drive him to kill her? I they could have been an experiment. Yeah, they could have been trying to see like what happens when we take somebody that is this far gone or that is like experienced all of this. Like, what if we can push them, just push them slightly over the edge? 
what would happen if right. we do this? And I think, honestly, I think that's a very good possibility. Because how else are they going to like know what they can achieve? And you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be cases where uh, Mildred or Mavis, M- uh, Man Girl, whatever, <laughs> Mavis. There we go. Uh, you know, like who knows what happened with her? Um, other than she was the fir- like one of the ones that was attempted, yeah. right? Um, they probably didn't get the there was you know they didn't get the results out of her that they were trying to achieve, so they stepped it yeah. up. They took it. They took it another step. Let this guy love everything that we are all about. Let's push into. Let's tap into his brain. Let's manipulate him to the point where we can get him to do whatever yeah. we want to do, and see how far he will go with it. Not to mention getting him romantically interested in the leader and then turning him down. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And that right there does another yep. thing. Another That's emotional like, blow. You know, that it, almost like it's it's almost like that heartbreak that he never really got to experience, but at the same time, he still experienced it because that's what she wanted him to want to yep. experience, right? Um so adds that. He's already depressed. He's already like has you know a bad family life at this point in this like you know sleepy town. Um, you know, they're already kind of, you know, on display. Like yeah, throw that in the mix. And then not only is he depressed, but he's also he's been turned down. He's he's angry. Yep. He's more depressed. He's more sad. You know, he's experienced loss at yeah. this point. So, you know, what better way to manipulate him at that point than to take him back with open arms like after after everything happens and try yeah, to push him that much him further. But exactly so you know like yeah i i honestly i i think that's the case that's my personal opinion for sure that's it really is though but people are like that like and that is that is true like that's real like that's as real as it gets like people are dark as fuck and people don't give a shit about anybody but themselves you know, and like their own ga- gaining their own personal, like whatever, like yielding their I results. I might believe that about these people. Like, you know, it's own own personal. Yeah, I game. might believe that about these people for sure, for sure. Especially her, the leader, because she was like certifiably batshit. Like she, it sounds like yeah, it. She was, and it's so, it's so dangerous. The like to perform these types of ceremonies if you don't know what you're doing it's like there oh, yeah. are like there are clinical there are clinical benefits to exorcism like they've been documented yeah so I read this paper in psychology today and okay it basically it suggested that if someone truly believes they're possessed like truly believes then their belief system can be used like the same way the placebo effect works to assist in psychotherapy. Right. So like, okay. Exorcism can, I mean, and ancient exorcism basically laid the foundation for psychotherapy in general, because it was the relationship between the, the priest and the, the follower. Right, they would have like one-on-one 
discourse. And that like that laid the okay, yeah, that, that makes laid sense, the foundation yeah. for it. I mean, possession has been around forever, right? Like with like ancient Sumer and the Magdalenians and all of those civilizations had possession. And it wasn't always negative. It wasn't oh, yeah. always a bad thing. It was like possession was also a state that you'd go in when communicating with your God. Right? So like you'd be possessed essentially by the Holy Spirit. Right? For for lack okay. of a term that actually applies to their religious beliefs. Stigmata, <laughs> if you will. I mean, I think that's a super extreme version. But like... I mean, it is, but that's still the same right. concept. Of like communing with God, right? Yeah. Right. So, I just, it's been around forever and it has, it has benefits, right? But when, but it has to be used correctly and by a professional, right? So when like you have these like random culty prayer groups getting together at like Mavis's, in Mavis's den, and they're like, oh, you're feeling sad? Let's do an exorcism <laughs> right now. <laughs> like, we got you, girl. Yeah, no exactly. worries. And they wonder why they try for four hours and then just, oh, this isn't working. <laughs> right. No, that makes so much so much sense, actually. And that's not anything, nothing I've ever thought about. Yeah. Like, it makes sense on a psychological level that, you know, you have the person doing the exorcism uh the exorcist sure. if you will um and then the person being exorcised the possessed mm-hmm. whether it's good whether it's evil like i've never thought about it on the level of it being i mean obviously the intention is positive right the it's it's always a positive intention i guess not always maybe not in this case <laughs> right. obviously um, you know, the intention in most cases is positive. Yeah. So I could definitely see the psychological psychological benefit, especially someone that is wholeheartedly in that mindset where they, you know, they are full of demons. They are, you know, like they need to be, they need all this to be cast out and then going through this like lengthy procedure, whether it's bullshit, whether it's not. Yeah. By the end of it, that assistance from someone that actually believes them mm-hmm. that is willing to take the time to give them that, uh, you know, give them that, that, uh, attention yeah. and, you know, try and cast out whatever darkness, demons, light, dark, whatever that is in them to help them reach their, you know, their potential or their ultimate peace goal, I guess in that case. Right. Yeah. Um, I could, yeah, I could definitely see that being extremely positive and uh, having a lot of like positive psychological effects. Yeah, which is something I've never actually looked at a as an at an exorcism case as. Like I said, I know obviously most often the intention is positive, but I never looked at it from like the psychological perspective that it you know that is one thing that you get out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at the other end of the psychological spectrum in that case being, are they just mentally unstable? Like is it some form of mental illness? that's like right. harnessing this greater power within them, like taking and consuming them. Like, you know, and that's, that's more of what I, where I tend to go. And so I don't really think about that at the end. I mean, I think we, we tend to think of like 
these cases as like, you know, the spinning head, throwing up pea soup, like the like crazy, you know, the crazy exorcisms, right? The like the ones that we see in movies, right? Of course. But like, I, I would imagine that a lot of these exorcisms are just what the person, what the supposedly possessed person is going through is just, I mean, just strife. Right? They're just like Okay. They're just sudden they've suddenly become miserable. Right? And that's And there's no and there's no reasoning real, yeah. behind it. Right. Yeah. And I would imagine that if you are like a true blue believer in demonic possession and that happens to you, an exorcism could certainly serve as a solution. Right? If you go th- especially if it's situational in origin. Yeah. Like if you if you're having like situational depression and which can be very bad right like but th- oh yeah but it can be but it can be it can feel just as bad as clinical depression but it's not you know it's not caused by chemical imbalance it's caused by something you're experiencing right like yeah. something in life so if you especially if you're dealing with something like that and you believe the way you know the way these people believe and someone comes in and like you said spends that time on you right like Mm -hmm. you go through these rituals and in your mind all this like this angst and and sadness is being pulled from you right like i can see how that could be healing for someone yeah it's like that instant misfortune instant gratification right you know like yielding that um, and I, I, yeah, I think, I think that, that I, I would say most, a lot of, maybe not most, but who knows a lot of cases are probably going to be just that. Yeah. And I think like, you know, having that person that's there to like literally aid you through this process and help you reach enlightenment sure. or find like a greater purpose that you are meant to be part right. of or something or just find your way through is, the tunnel is literally exactly exercising someone of of their darkness yeah a dark passenger if you will <laughs> yeah i mean i i definitely i definitely get the benefits of it but that's the i feel like yeah, those are very sure. specific situations like you have to you'd have to really believe right i mean like in drug trials the placebo a placebo only works because you're because the person is convinced they're receiving medication right. right if there's any doubt that those numbers wane very quickly right so what's not to say all exorcisms aren't a placebo effect i mean that's what freaks me out about this one I mean, I guess this isn't this case isn't a great example of this question because it didn't work out. He, it wasn't I, he, the demons were not exercised. No, because they were, they were manipulating ever. him. Right. We've established this. But like <laughs> in a case like this, where a person, you know, three months ago, the guy couldn't remember the last time he attended a church service. Yeah, and then and you had said, I believe you had said that they weren't like a church going family yeah, or anything like that. So right. No, and his wife Christine was very skeptical of religion like she was basically just that's why that's another reason not the only there are a lot of reasons but that's one of the reasons i feel really bad for her is because like 
She was just putting up with this bullshit because she thought it was helping her husband feel better. Yeah, right. And she got hit in the fucking crossfire at that point. Yeah. Not only is she dealing with this, like, this infidelity shit between her husband and Marie, right? On top of that, I mean, obviously, she gets murdered. Like, the, obviously. the, ultimate, the ultimate downside to a situation, right? <laughs> yeah, that's like the worst outcome. <laughs> yeah. Like, if someone had come up to her three months ago and went like, what's the worst that could happen? Just go to the meeting. This is that. This is the worst that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, uh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. For sure. But I mean, it freaks me out how fast it happened. Three months is wild to go from. Yeah. No, that's insane. It's an insane amount of time, but it's also, there are churches. And again, I mentioned Westboro Baptist because they're fucking like, they're the prime example in this case for brainwashing people into doing their bidding first of all sure and brainwashing people into like this extreme extremist way of thinking yeah um and that's what that's what the whole premise of red state is about it's based on westboro baptist and it's to a you know high degree but i mean that's real it is very very real right the rhetoric is real without a doubt and that's how i view this like prayer group this religious group this cult if you will Mm -hmm. like i feel like they were they were aiming to reach that i think that's what their ultimate maybe the ultimate goal was um and then you know this particular case they they went a little too far and he he, you know snapped they right and they reached the results that they were aiming toward but far too quickly you think they were just trying to like test their the boundaries I think so, without a it. doubt. Yeah, they found the fucking. Yeah, boundary. and I, I think that's what it was. And they, they pushed him, and I don't think it was an, it was intentional to push him that far, but push him to the point where like he'd become extremely hostile. Like you know, like something would happen throughout the night. Obviously, they sent him home and said, "Hey, by the way, you've got a couple more demons left in you. One is murder, <laughs> so don't go doing anything silly." Right. Like no, <laughs> you know, like, like what three demons are that, left? Well, they're not snap, crackle, and pop. Like yeah, don't don't worry, don't worry. It's what's the worst that can happen? My God. Yeah, so that's again, that's my take on it. That's how I feel. I feel like it was they had brainwashed him at that point. He finally found something that he felt like he was a part of, and it was relieving some of that depression. Right. You know, and when you find that, you want to embrace it, and you want to like, you want to commit to it. Yeah. And he committed. He he sure did. <laughs> he committed. My God. So, I don't know. What, what do you think? I. <clears throat> I mean, I'm 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 right there with you. I. Okay. I don't think this is a very compelling case for possession. I just don't. I don't like this. I agree, for sure. I don't, you know, some people have talked about this case like, oh, maybe she was like, maybe she was like a conduit for demonic possession or there's like, I don't think it had anything to do with that. I think it was, this was completely psychological manipulation. It was this woman trying to start a cult and this 
poor guy got wrapped up in it and he i mean he got fucked he got like completely mind fucked into murdering his own wife i think that's exa- that's exactly what happened i don't think it had anything yep. to do with demons no not at all not at all and i think that was just like a way to chalk this up to like the the bad of the situation sure right but that was also another way for them to get to him and manipulate him that much more also though he was in a highly religious community not just the prayer group but asa in general was a very religious town that was right. like like i said in the story like that was the only thing that made this family stand out was that they weren't churchgoers and in this town that was super yeah. rare so like to have this downturn and then the emotional damage of her of the cult leader rejecting him i'm just calling her that now she's the cult leader she Um, is for sure after she rejects him that emotional blow like i feel like he's teetering on the edge at that point and starting to do some weird shit because who doesn't when they're teetering on the edge right and then he's surrounded by all these people that are so quick to go like possession demonic possession like yep. you need to you need to be exercised like and he just you know if you're in that kind of fragile state and you're hearing that over and over and over again you know what i mean like you're bound to start to believe it yourself yeah i think that he left yep. that initial i think he left that exorcism fully believing that he had inside him murder, insanity, and violence. And he went home and used them. I agree. Yep. I I think that's that's I, I think we can safely chalk it up to like just it was literally just manipulation. Yeah. And like I said, you know, my my stance and my my believing that that's what they were trying to achieve you're trying to see how far they could push someone in this type of state. I I think that's that's the case 100%. And he was just a guinea pig in that situation and it didn't play out well for him. I hope now, uh, you know, at least if if he's still alive, I don't know. Um as of 2005-2006 or so like and onward, I hope he's doing better. Um I think but, he'd be in I, his, mean, I think he'd be in his 80s at this point. Yeah. So I mean, he's still he might still be you know shuffling around somewhere. True. But True. Now i I don't want to I want to be careful not to completely remove blame from this guy who ripped his wife's face off because well, no, like you, you can't. I mean, he did the action. Yeah. I mean, I do believe he was manipulated and influenced, but like you know, Marcus Parks from. You know, one of the hosts of Last Podcast on the Left has one of my favorite quotes of all time, which is, mental illness is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Agreed. Right? Yeah. So, like... Yeah, I, I, that, that's it. Yeah. And I think he was being just as irresponsible as the people around him were being. But also in the state that he was sure. in, being manipulated, being in that headspace being told that he's possessed by all these demons and that's what's causing all of this. Yeah. And this dude that's looking for an out some way, trying to reach that point that when he became, when he went to this church and started to feel like this 
wash of emotions like just flowing out of him. He's looking to reach that. That's like that high. You're right. You know, that extreme high that you can get. And he's trying to he's trying to get it again. You're right. You know, so I think um, you know, because obviously when I think of someone taking responsibility for their mental illness, I think of someone, you know, seeking therapy or medication or but right, to him in that state I mean, it seems like that's what he was trying to do. Right? He he yeah, thought that what I, was I would wrong agree. with him was He went possession. to this this religious group like, you know, right. like he's looking for something. He's trying. Yeah. You know, maybe therapy and this is also back in what the 60s, 70s. right? So yeah. uh, so it wasn't as a, as a normal thing as it is today. S- certainly. You know, most people are going to therapists today. Yeah. You know, back then it was very few and far between it. What it was, it was kind of taboo. Yeah. It was like, you know, you went, if you had problems and then you were, you know, you were looked at differently. Yeah. Like you were mocked because you were going to see a therapist and which is bullshit, but you know, we also live in a better world than we used to. Yeah. In a um, town like Osset in the seventies, <laughs> it, you would have been, you would have been more of a social pariah for going to a therapist than you would have, if you were Everyone possessed by a demon. Known. Right, and with it with it being such a very like tight knit yeah. you know community, everyone would have known, and it would have caused more sure. problems, and he would have been casted out as this like social pariah or whatever, yeah. like you know. So like, yeah, I understand. Also, though, he so was he, he was convinced that that the solution to his illness was pursuing this exorcism. Right, so in a way, he was right. trying to take responsibility for his for his state, for the state he was in. I would like to think so. Obviously his actions after that were yeah. a mix of his own, I mean, but also his mindset. Unfortunately, where he was going to seek help was like a pit of vipers. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. The worst possible, possible thing he could have done, but how was he supposed to know? Yeah. Like, how is one supposed to know in that type of situation? Yeah, you would think of a, a religion, you know, seeking religious like help and stuff like that. It's it's only going to be positive, but in this case, well, yeah, you know, not so much. Quite the opposite, exactly. So yeah, I think we're I think we're definitely in the same mindset. Um, you know, it just yeah, I mean, it sucks for the guy. It sucks even more for the wife, <laughs> yeah, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. Sucks for the guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to hell. Um, but regardless, no, that's, you know, and so, like, you know, it, it is, it's a shitty situation. I think, like, I think a lot of it, he just got sucked into this thing, and, you know, and obviously, I think that's what we can chalk it up to at this point. Agreed. Agreed. Awesome. Right. I like when we agree. You know, these are these are nice. Yeah, we've been agreeing a lot lately. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We need to like bring <laughs> I in think some. We're wild... finally starting to get on the same level. We yeah. need to bring in some like wild alien bullshit so I can argue with you again. Oh, we'll get there. Don't you worry. <laughs> and that concludes episode thirteen: the possession of Michael Taylor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. 
and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown.